Hi friends, it's Sophie and welcome to This Trying Life, a podcast about, well, all it takes to try and be alive. And specifically for me, what it means to try and be an artist in this world. The two are pretty interrelated. Okay, let's get to it. Well, 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 look at us now, episode three. Before we get going on today's episode, I wanted to confess that this week was really wah wah trying for me, especially with this podcast, trying to get it out. This podcast was really a stopgap measure for me as I moved to a new city and was trying to get my bearings and navigate my way around and keep myself busy and creatively stimulated. And it's done that. And I, I'm very grateful. And it will continue, but maybe in a subtler or simpler form. It might be monthly monologues from me talking about what I'm trying a certain week that is helping me. So the things that have helped me through this week are kindness and also just thinking about the word commitment and what that means because I so feared that I had committed to this thing and if I renege, you know, I'm a failure. But in this episode, you'll hear Phil talk about that and it's really interesting because he thinks he's failed at something, which to me, I don't think he's failed at at all. Um... So it's just recognizing that and being with those feelings a bit more. But next month, there potentially won't be an episode. There probably won't be an episode because I am taking a solo show course, which as I say this now, I'm even wondering why. I've noticed that I'm keeping myself very busy over here in London. and I think that's a good a good tool when you move somewhere new, keep yourself busy, you know, and you don't have to deal with the emotions underneath the surface, the uncertainty, the doubt, the loneliness, etc. But maybe I need to deal with those things a bit more. I certainly need to be a bit more still. So I'm going to try that. I'm going to try and be a bit more still and less doing. I feel like I've been on a, um, a hamster wheel since I've got here. However, this week's guest is Phil Nozuka, and what a way to um, take a hiatus to go out with a bang with Phil Nozuka because he's incredible. He's an interdisciplinary performance artist. I met him at theater school, and he's one of those guys that you watch on stage and you're just in awe because everything seems so easy. And he also has that stage presence. Oh my God, that stage presence that. Everyone talks about this ephemeral thing, and, and he has it. It just shines out of him, and it's probably because he's so good. He's a bit of a Buddhist, and um, he has some pretty pretty neat Buddha nature going on inside of him. So I will leave you. I won't do an outro this week. So this is it from me, and here is my interview with Phil Nozuka. Forewarning. There might be moments where the editing is not so good because I was just doing the best I could this week, folks. So you might hear me say like, oh, remember when you said that? And you'll be listening and going, what? He didn't say that. Well, he did, but it was cut. Hopefully it stays together and coheres. But for me, 
I'm gonna go be a bit more still. Here's Phil Mazuka. Look at that face. Look at that face. Oh my God. Thanks so much for doing this, Phil. I am so excited by, by this initiative that you're, you're doing. Oh, good, good. So, um, Phil, the, the big word I wanted to talk to you about today is loneliness. Because I feel a bit of a sort of uh, kindred spirit with you and mm. always have since theater school in that I feel that we similarly wear our hearts on our sleeves. And so I just wondered um, whether the word loneliness has any resonance for you in your life and how that word has sort of manifested or played itself out. Yeah, um, it does, definitely. Um, right now, I feel the word loneliness relates a lot to my, yeah, like me and my interaction with the internet and social media. And like, that's one of the main things that I think about is my relationship to loneliness has changed so much in the last like five to 10 years um, because of, I don't know, like a lot of different things have happened in my life, but um, I guess I've also been thinking a lot about social media. So like when you emailed me about loneliness, I was like, oh, that's where my head's at a lot when I think about loneliness and my challenge with confronting my loneliness because of, I don't know, just maybe finding it easier to distract myself with different things. And um, lately that seems to manifest a lot with the internet. Yeah, so do you think um, the internet culture that we live in now has heightened your sense of loneliness or does it contribute to a sense of connection for you? Um, it does both, like in different ways. Um, I think it contributes to my sense of connection because I feel more, I don't, I feel more connected to the world and my community in a, in a different way because of the internet than I would like before I was on the internet so much um, because it's just a different way of interacting with human beings uh, that you kind of, I feel like I'm connecting or I, 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 I'm given the illusion that I'm connecting, I guess is what it is. Um, but ultimately I feel like my connection is so isolated because I'm often alone when I'm connecting with people. Right. And so, um, the connection is like really superficial and it's not relational. It's kind of one way. It's like more about me, like showing <laughs> I mean, like, here I am, like, do you like me? And less about genuinely connecting with people and wanting to have conversations, um, have discussions, um, look people in their eyes. And, um, and of course the lack of physical intimacy is such a present thing on our digital screens and, and I think the way for me that um, challenges my relationship to myself is that it's become a little bit more difficult for me to um, practice being alone, um, alone, alone, without those things. Right, like without turning on the computer or logging into Facebook or whatever. Or thinking about it even. It's very consuming in ways that, I mean, like, I guess there are other things that were consuming and distracting before I, you know, had a smartphone. Uh, but I really enjoy a lot of things on my smartphone. <laughs> <laughs> and so I find it to be the main thing uh, that takes me away from myself and, and, and other things that are happening in my life too. Like it's, it's all very interrelated. 
Um, but I think because social media is so present on my mind because it's such a big part of my creativity. So I wanted to ask whether you are still publishing your videos online and whether that's still an active practice or whether you are thinking differently about that and have given that up. The videos you're referring to, like, so I've, I guess I've had different phases of publishing videos yeah, online. Yeah, the most recent phase. Like the vlogs? Yeah, which was like about two years ago. Is that correct? Uh, I started the vlogs last winter. I was attempting to do this kind of one week, you know, once a week vlog thing. After I did that for about a month, it was so stressful having to try to like create content with such a short turnaround. And then I was trying to do something, you know, about my real life, kind of playing myself or a version of myself um, was increasingly stressful. Like I couldn't sleep at night because I was like, so felt so vulnerable about the things I was putting myself out there. And I was like, who am I trying to portray? What version of me is this? It became clear that that process was like not sustainable for the kind of work I wanted to make. And I didn't know what I was doing yet. <clears throat> so I kind of stopped that for a while. And, um, I definitely restarted, uh, publishing content on Instagram. Instagram kind of was a new way for me to interact with the internet, which I really uh, enjoyed with Instagram stories and creating little videos or songs or whatever. It kind of became an experimental tool for like posting content without being too precious about it, especially with stories because they literally disappear. That's cool. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. And so since then, my relationship is like hardcore, like posting all the time for like six months and then like just like ghosting for like four months it's like i can't do this all the time it's just like making me into a obsessive person walking around in the world on my phone all the time or thinking about what to post and you know being in a relationship that, that also kind of you know starts to penetrate the i don't know just like the home life and the way that you're with somebody and thinking about oh how could i maybe use this as content I'm curious, when you talked about um, enjoying the Instagram stories and sort of posting a lot, what is the um, the drive or the intention behind that? Is it because it brings you pleasure or are you hoping to get something out of it at, at the end? Oh, yeah, that, that's that's one of the main questions I'm asking is like, what is this obsession with social media and like posting and content and this thing that proposes to connect us with the world that kind of seems to make a lot of people very insecure and and jealous and feel like they're missing out and and very lonely too and um so I'm like what is it about and you know for me it feels so cliche to say but I feel like my genuine conclusion comes back to the thing that it often does which is wanting to be seen wanting to be validated wanting to be loved you know like here I am I'm performing myself and like you should like put a heart <laughs> to let me know that I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Totally. I really think that's the essence of it, but there are a lot of other things as well. Um, there's curiosity, there is joy, um, in expressing myself and knowing that I am maybe, you know, um, I don't know, maybe there is some use in like some of the stuff that I do that maybe people find it funny or, you know, that is definitely a hope. And sometimes you get that message of someone saying, oh, your videos make me happy. And you're like, you feel good. But I'm really curious about what, what the drive is. And I don't altogether know, you know, all the different layers to it. But uh, for me, 
I think similar to like my pursuit and performance in general, it, 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 it comes from a need to like, it, it seems to come from a compulsion more than anything else of like wanting to be seen and. And loved. <laughs> loved. <laughs> oh man, that's not ridiculous. I think that's um, the drive behind many artists, if not sort of all humans. Isn't that what we want to, want to happen to us? To be seen and to be loved on this earth and to be understood? I think so. I think so. Yeah. I think it's a big part of what we feel makes us happy and gives us meaning is that we are, we exist and that we are real and that we matter. Yeah, that's interesting. It's just making me think like, maybe it is in some cases, making people feel like they matter. Like I know for some people, it is a a really big means. um, It is a really big tool to connect. Yeah. I think it does so much. And that I think is the vortex of it is that it gives us the feeling that we, we are, you know, like for me, when I'm consistently on Instagram, you know, when I'm in that phase where I'm like, you know, every few minutes I'm, I'm trying or, or not trying or having a hard time, you know, not refreshing that feed and seeing how many more likes I get, or did I get any comments this time? Or why aren't people commenting as much or it is this kind of addiction of like getting my my daily validation that I matter (laughs) and that I think is the the danger of it is that especially because we get to compare ourselves so directly by kind of peering into other people's uh online identities and how much meaning that they're getting we get to see like oh that person matters more than me because people seem to tell them that way more than they're, they're telling me and, and to depend on our, our meaning and our purpose from that is a very slippery slope. And there are studies coming out about how that is affecting, especially, you know, people that are in their teenage years, you know, in high schools, I imagine it's a big part of the way that people interact and uh, find their, if they're wanted or cool or whatever it is. Yeah, 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 definitely. It's like an amplified comparison tool. Yeah. And, 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 but there's a flip side to that. You know, there is a lot of validation that can happen on social media in, you know, on a platforms that a lot of people didn't have an opportunity to be seen or heard, you know, that they do get validated and, and movements get started because of that, that are important and necessary and, you know, long overdue because like these people have not been represented or seen or, um, and so, it, 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 it to me manifests the complexity of those things, which which is what I find interesting. That it's not a you know good or bad thing. There's a lot of positive things that the internet and social media present. I, another word I wanted to ask you about was fame and whether your relationship to fame has changed over these past ten years. Because when I first met you, I did know you as somebody who chased after that quite ardently, and how has your relationship to that word changed? It has changed. It's changed. Um, it's changed a lot. It, it, it'll always be there. Um, well, I don't know if it'll always be there, um, actually. But um, yeah, when we first met, it was the fire that kind of drove everything, you know, being an actor and auditioning and getting getting some roles and feeling a little famous and all those things um, are exciting. but it changed because I failed, you know, like at a certain point in my life, 
yeah, I remember in our first summer after theater school, you know, I did this fringe show that I was like, this is it. I'm going to make a show and tour the world, you know, and like the show freaking like got such bad reviews. And like, I averaged like four people in the audience a night, literally. And it's like, oh my God, I'm not going to be the famous person. I, I, I'm like 21 at this point in my life also. I'm like, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be famous. I failed. That's interesting. But even right now you use the word like, and I failed, but isn't that just part of the artist's journey? Like getting rejected and learning and trying again. Totally. But like in that moment, I'm like, I failed. Like, I'm like, it didn't happen. And, and I became really, I got fucked up. I got so fucked up during that time that I was like so paralyzed by my failure that it, it led to me having to, I don't know, it kind of led to this thing that happens sometimes when you experience failure, that there's a possibility for something else. You know, you kind of, and for me, it, it was somehow, I guess it was having to cope. So I would pray a lot. I would chant a lot. Mm. And when I chant a lot, you know, it kind of tickles this other part of me that's deeper than that, you know, person that wants to be famous. And, and then I find these, I kind of read these books that were kind of working in this self-help way of just dealing with my pain. And, but they were books about spirituality and being with the present moment. And the more I kind of were practicing what the books were saying, I started to like, my world started to open up. Mm. And I found the present moment in a very deep way. And I suddenly went on opposite spectrum, <sighs> right? Suddenly was like kind of saw through the illusion of this whole thing that I've been chasing throughout my whole adolescence. And it was like, none of it matters. And I remember going back to second year was very difficult because I felt myself slowly getting back onto that kind of ambitious wheel of like craving and desire. And from then on, I think my life has been really this battle of like, wanting these things still but this other part of myself that I had kind of this breakthrough or this awakening keeps it in check and it allows me to kind of be like yeah but like just know as much as you're playing this game you know it doesn't really matter um and by the end of theater school I was kind of back into it so I went to LA and I was like I gotta go for it all to see if this is what I really want or not and when I was in LA it was like that to me kind of really made me realize after like a year of auditioning and trying to get on, you know, pursue that dream. Um, yeah, I was like, oh, this, yeah, thanks. I, I did try it. I'm glad like, yeah, no. So right now I find myself driven by my artistic passions of like wanting to be a creator. Mm. And it's inspired by like such awesome artists that I feel like I have a more grounded, you know, um, or I, I guess I have role models in a way to be like, oh, like there's a different way to be an artist. You know, you don't have to do it in this kind of capitalistic, frenetic way of needing to feel successful and um, how society, you know, values that success or, or defines it. There are other ways. And like, you know, Jill is, is really for me, like one of those major people in my life that I, I, I feel inspired by. And so right now I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, but that fame thing is still there. Like I'm like, I'm making this show right now and I'm still like, Oh, maybe I'll tour the world. Like it's still there. And, and, and it's still a big part of what drives me. And, and I've come to accept that and, and not, not judge it as an entirely negative thing and that it's such a human thing and that there's a way to be in relationship to it in a, in a more balanced way. 
So before we go, I wanted to ask you two questions. One is super easy to answer. What do you find hardest about being alive? Wow, what do I find hardest about being alive? <sighs> I think one of the things I find hardest to, uh, is, being, is being in the present moment. And, and because the stakes are so high, <laughs> you know, it's like if you're not in the present moment, then you, you're not alive. I'm not alive. I feel that. And so being in the present moment is the only thing that matters to me. And it's, and it's hard. It's hard to be authentically present. Uh, and that's a weird thing. It's a weird thing that it's hard to be present because it, 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 logically it should seem like the easiest thing ever. Right. Like that's all that we were put on this earth for was to be present. And yet we rarely are. Yeah. And, and the fact that it's so hard is such a weird part of our existence. Like, why is it so hard to not be in our thoughts? Like, come on, like you meditate and you can't turn your thoughts off. Like what? Like that seems such a flaw in our like genetic, like evolution. It seems like the opposite of a Darwinian kind of like survival mechanism. It's like thoughts, you know, kill us sometimes. And the phenomena of not being able to not think is to me very puzzling. Um, and that, and that being with oneself is painful. I find that to be very um, interesting as well. That being in the present moment is is painful. Like the body, when you're when you're not thinking, I think so much of why we think is because when we are with our bodies without thinking, pain comes up. What what do you find painful about it? Being with yourself. It's I don't know what it is. It's 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 the sensation of anxiety. You know, it's like it's like literally like you know. When I'm trying to be present, like if I'm doing the dishes and I'm mindfully like, it's like suddenly like my body starts feeling things <laughs> and to feel things is hard. <laughs> um, yeah, like, of course, I'm going to think instead. <laughs> it's like I don't want to like sit with the sensations of my body if, if they're if they're uncomfortable. I love that quote to feel things is hard. And then lastly, I wanted to ask you, oh, actually, before I ask you this question, just what, because you had mentioned praying and chanting earlier, what is your religious background? Um, my religious background, I don't identify as Buddhist, but that's my religious background. My Both my parents were are um, Nichiren Buddhists, which is a branch of uh, Buddhism in Japan. I think it's a branch of Zen Buddhism uh, that was founded by Nichiren Daishonin and um I don't know when actually. And there's a lot of branches of Nichiren Buddhist Buddhism, but both my parents practice Nichiren Buddhism in, in Soka Gakkai International, um, which is like this organization. And so they raised us through this kind of practice and philosophy. And um, my mom doesn't identify as a Nichiren Buddhist anymore. But my dad is like, that's his purpose in life. So when you're praying and chanting, are they Buddhist prayers and chants? Yes, they're... Um, um, based on the Lotus Sutra. So like my understanding is like there were a lot of many sutras that the Buddha propagated um, over, you know, millennia and were written down and interpreted by different people. And, you know, like religions get like splintered off over time in different places and spread, etc. Um, and this one particular one, Nichiren Daishonin, um, his whole thing was like the Lotus Sutra is the way, um, which is he articulated as Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. And so that is the prayer. 
And what does that mean? The definition is nam is devotion. Uh, Myoho is the mystical law of the universe. Renge uh, is um, the nature of cause and effect. And Kyo is the intonement. It's like the saying of it. So in a sense, you're kind of chanting to bring out your inner Buddha nature to manifest through this intonement. That's really interesting. Because the two things back to back, like the mystical laws of the universe and the nature of cause and effect, it almost sounds like what you're saying is like a giving over to the mystical laws of the universe and the laws of cause and effect that we have no control over and sort of devoting yourself. Is that, is that off base? Well, I think it's, it's like, there's a lot of ways to interpret it. There's so many ways to interpret it. And, and growing up for the way that we were kind of taught to interpret it is, is a way that I no longer do. It's, it's kind of based on like chant for what you want to bring out your desires so that they manifest. So my dad was like, if you want to be the greatest actor in the world, chant to the altar for that so you can bring out your inner Buddha to actualize yourself as the greatest actor in the world. Or if you like want to be on a TV show, like chant for that. And that's why I kind of departed from that particular branch of Buddhism, because to me, it didn't resonate with what I wanted my spiritual practice to be. It's very tied to materialism and like, you know, manifesting your desires. And my practice is more about learning to, I don't know, like surrender my desires. (laughs) And so, yeah, now when I chant, it's more about chanting myself to become in line with my true nature. Yeah, your Buddha nature. My Buddha nature, yeah. yeah. Can you repeat the chant again? Yes, I'll do, I'll do one um, stanza of it. Or I'll do what's called uh, uh, Sancho. Nam yo renge yo, nam yo renge yo, nam yo renge yo. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you, Phil. Nam yo renge yo, 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 nam yo renge yo.